Book Ten, Chapter One of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Ten, Chapter One. A Surprise. Camilla strove to check her grief upon entering the carriage in which Miss Marglin had again the charge of the young party, but the interrogatory of her father, "'Why will you have me?' was mentally repeated without ceasing. "'Ah! why, indeed!' thought she, at a moment when every filial duty called more than ever for my stay. "'Well, might he not divine the unnatural reason? Can I believe it myself? Believe such an hour arrived, when my mother, the best of mothers, is expected. When she returns to her family, Camilla seeks another abode. Is not this a dream? And may I not one day awake from it? Miss Marglin was in the highest good humour at this expedition, and Indiana was still enraptured to visit London, from old expectations which she knew not how to relinquish, though they were fixed to no point, and as fantastic as vague. Eugenia, whose dejection had made Sir Hugh press her into the party, found nothing in it to revive her, and Camilla entered Grosvenor Square with keen dissatisfaction of every sort. The cautions of Edgar against Mrs. Burlington broke into all the little relief she might have experienced upon again seeing her. She had meant to keep his final exhortations constantly in her mind, and to make all his opinions and counsels the rule and measure of her conduct. But a cruel perversity of events seemed to cast her every action into an apparent defiance of his wishes. Mrs. Burlington, who in a mansion the most splendid, received her with the same gentle sweetness she had first sought her regard, was delighted by the unexpected sight of Eugenia, whose visit had been settled too late to be announced by letter, and caressed Indiana immediately as a sister. Miss Marglin, who came but for two days, sought with much adulation to obtain an invitation for a longer stay, but Mrs. Burlington, though all courtesy and grace, incommoded herself with no society that she did not find pleasing. Melman, who had accompanied them on horseback, was eager to engage the kindness of his sister for Indiana, and Mrs. Burlington, in compliment to her arrival, refused all parties for the evening, and bestowed upon her an almost undivided attention. This was not quite so pleasant to him in proof as in hope. Passionless in this case herself, the delusions of beauty deceived not her understanding, and half an hour sufficed to shew Indiana to be frivolous, uncultivated, and unmeaning. The perfection, none the less, of her face and person obviated either wonder or censure of the choice of her brother, though she could not but regret that he had not seen with mental eyes the truly superior Eugenia. The wretched Camilla quitted them all as soon as possible to retire to her chamber and ruminate upon her proposed letter. She meant at first to write in detail, but her difficulties accumulated as she weighed them. "'What a season!' cried she, to sink Lionel still deeper in disgrace. What a treachery after voluntarily assisting him to complain of and betray him! Ah, oh, let my own faults teach me mercy for the faults of others!' Yet, without this acknowledgment, what exculpation could she offer for the origin of her debts, and all she had incurred at Tunbridge? Those of Southampton she now thought every way unpardonable. Even were she to relate the vain hopes which had led to the expense of the ball-dress, could she plead, 
to an understanding like that of her mother, that she had been deceived and played upon by such a woman as Mrs. Mitten? "'I am astonished now myself,' she cried, "'at that passive facility, but to me, alas, thought only comes with repentance.' The Higdon debt, both for the rent and the stores, was the only one at which she did not blush, since, great as was her indiscretion in not inquiring into her powers before she plighted her service, it would be palliated by her motive. Vainly she took up her pen. Not even a line could she write. "'How enervating!' she cried. "'Is all wrong! I have been, till now, a happy stranger to fear. Partiality favoured and fondly confiding, I have looked at my dear father, I have met my beloved mother, with the same courage and the same pleasure that I have looked at and met my brother and my sisters, and only with more reverence. How miserable the change! I shudder now at the presence of the most indulgent of fathers. I fly with guilty cowardice from the fondest of mothers. Eugenia, when able, followed her, and had no sooner heard the whole history then tenderly embracing her, she said, "'Let not this distress seem so desperate to you, my dearest sister. Your own account points out to me how to relieve it, without either betraying our poor Lionel, or further weighing down our already heavily burthened friends.' "'And how, my dear Eugenia?' cried Camilla, with fearful gratitude, and involuntarily reviving by the most distant idea of such a project." by adopting she said the same means that had been invented by mrs mitten she had many valuable trinkets the annual offerings of her munificent uncle the sale of which would go far enough she could not doubt towards the payment of the principal to induce the money-lender to accept interest for the rest till the general affairs of their house were re-established when what remained of the sum could be discharged without difficulty by herself now no longer wanting money nor capable of receiving any pleasure from it but by the pleasure she might give. Camilla pressed her in her arms, almost kneeling with fond acknowledgments, and accepted, without hesitation, her generous offer. "'All, then, is arranged,' said Eugenia, with a smile so benign it seemed nearly beautiful. "'And to friendship and to each other we will devote our future days. My spirits will revive with the revival of Camilla. To see her again gay will be renovation to my uncle, and who knows, my dear sister?' but our whole family may again be blessed ere long with peace. The next morning they sent off a note to the money-lender, whose direction Camilla had received from Mrs. Mitten, entreating his patience for a fortnight or three weeks, when he would receive the greatest part of his money with every species of acknowledgment. Camilla, much relieved, went to sit with Mrs. Burlington, but upon entering the dressing-room was struck by the sight of Bellamy just quitting it. Mrs. Burlington, upon her appearance, with a look of soft rapture approaching her, said, "'Felicitate me, loveliest Camilla! My friend, my chosen friend, is restored to me, and the society for which so long I have sighed in vain may be once more mine!' Camilla, startled, exclaimed with earnestness, "'My dearest Mrs. Burlington, pardon me, I entreat, but is Mr. Bellamy known to Mr. Burlington?' "'No!' answered she disdainfully but he has been seen by him mr burlington is a stranger to merit or taste and alfonso to him is but as any other man they are however acquainted with each other said camilla mrs burlington answered that after her marriage she remained three months in wales with her aunt 
where Bellamy was travelling to view the country, and where almost immediately after that unhappy enthrallment she first knew him, and first learnt the soothing charms of friendship, but from that period they had met no more, though they had constantly corresponded. Camilla was now first sensible to all the alarm with which Edgar had hitherto striven to impress her, in vain. The impropriety of such a connection, the danger of such a partiality, filled her with wonder and disturbance. She hesitated whether to relate or not the adventure of Bellamy with her sister, but the strong repugnance of Eugenia to having it named, and the impossibility of proving the truth of the general opinion of his base scheme, decided her to silence. Upon the plans and the sentiments, however, of Mrs. Burlington herself, she spared not the extremest sincerity, but she gained no ground by the contest, though she lost not any kindness by the attempt. At dinner she felt extremely disturbed by the reappearance of Bellamy, who alone, she found, had been accepted by Mrs. Burlington, in the orders of general denial to company. He seemed himself much struck at the sight of Eugenia, who blushed and looked embarrassed by his presence. He did not, however, address her. He confined his attentions to Mrs. Burlington or Miss Margland. The former received them with distinguishing softness. The latter, at first, disdainfully repelled them. From the general belief at Cleves of his attempted elopement with Eugenia, but afterwards, finding she was left wholly to a person who had no resources for entertaining her, namely herself, and knowing Eugenia was safe while immediately under her eye, she deigned to treat him with more consideration. The opera was proposed for the evening. Mrs. Burlington, having both tickets and her box at the service of her fair friends, as the lady with whom she had subscribed was out of town. Indiana was enchanted, Miss Margoland was elevated, and Eugenia not unwilling to seek some recreation, though hopeless of finding it. But Camilla, notwithstanding she was lightened at this moment from one of her most corrosive cares, was too entirely miserable for any species of amusement. The same strong feelings that gave to pleasure when she was happy, so high a zest, rendered it nearly abhorrent to her when grief had possession of her mind. After dinner, when the ladies retired to dress, Camilla, with some uneasiness, conjured Eugenia to avoid renewing any acquaintance with Bellamy. Eugenia, blushing, while a tear started into either eye, said she was but too well guarded from Bellamy, through a late transaction which had exalted her to a summit of happiness, from which she could never now descend to any new plan of life beyond the single state and retirement. At night the whole party went to the opera except Camilla, who, in spending the evening alone, meant to ruminate upon her affairs, and arrange her future conduct. But Edgar, his virtues and his loss, took imperious possession of all her thoughts, and while she dwelt upon his honour, his sincerity, and his goodness, and traced with cherished recollection every scene in which she had been engaged with him, he and they recurred to her as visions of all earthly felicity. Awakened from these reveries by the sound of the carriage and the rapping at the street door, she was hastening downstairs to meet her sister, when she heard Melman call out from the coach, "'Is Miss Eugenia Tyrold come home?' "'No,' the man answered, and Melman exclaimed, "'Good heaven! I must run, then, back to the theatre. Do not be alarmed, my Indiana, and do not alarm Miss Camilla, for I will not return without her.' 
They all entered but himself, while Camilla, fixed to the stair upon which she had heard these words, remained some minutes motionless. Then, tottering down to the parlour, with a voice hollow from affright, and a face pale as death, she tremulously articulated, "'Where is my sister?' They all looked aghast, and not one of them, for some time, was capable to give any account that was intelligible. She then gathered that in coming out of the theatre to get to the coach they had missed her. None of them knew how, which way, in what manner. "'And where's Miss Bellamy?' cried she, in an agony of apprehension. "'Was he at the opera? Where? Where is he?' Miss Margolin looked dismayed, and Mrs. Burlington amazed at this interrogatory, but they both said he had only been in the box at the beginning of the opera, and afterwards to help them out of the crowd. "'And who did he help? Who? Who?' exclaimed Camilla. "'Me first, answered Miss Markland. "'And when we got into a great crowd he took care of Miss Eugenia, too.' She then added that in this crowd both she and Eugenia had been separated from Mrs. Burlington and Indiana, who by Melmond and another gentleman had been handed straight to the carriage without difficulty, and that soon after she had lost the arm of Bellamy, who by some mistake had turned a wrong way. But she got to the coach by herself, where they had waited full half an hour, Melman running to and fro, searching in every direction, but in vain, to find Eugenia. Nor had Bellamy appeared again. Then they came home, hoping he had put her in a chair, and that she might be arrived before them. "'Dreadful! dreadful!' cried Camilla, sinking on the floor. "'She is forced away! She is lost!' When again her strength returned, she desired that someone might go immediately to the house or lodgings of Bellamy to inquire if he were come home. This was done by a footman, who brought word he had not been seen there since six o'clock in the evening when he dressed and went out. Camilla now, confirmed in her horrible surmise, was nearly frantic. She bewailed her sister, her father, her uncle. She wanted herself to rush forth, to search Eugenia in the streets. She could scarce be detained within, scarce kept off from entire delirium. End of chapter 1 Recording by Linda Velwest